You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Inside the Musicians Guild. And as always, I thank you for listening and I thank you for being here. Hope everybody has not only been enjoying their time on Earth, but making their time on Earth meaningful, either to themselves or to the people around them, or both if they're linked. If your time on Earth is made more meaningful by positively impacting those around you, or those you don't even know, then chances are you're a pretty awesome person. So, if that's you, I appreciate your existence, and I wish there were more people like you on Earth. It's always weird for me to do these intros. Uh, Part of the thing that mitigated my fear about taking this leap and making this podcast was always having these really... uh, interesting and talented people like my friends and peers around to talk with and um, putting together even just eight to 12 minutes of me talking by myself is still such an intimidating and frightening endeavor. I've put together a bunch of things, written them down, tried to make a cohesive piece, but I've never really ended up using them just because I'm not a writer and I certainly don't have those skills. And so a lot of these intros have kind of, as I've mentioned before, become these tiny morsels of free-floating editorial where I don't have any credentials. And I guess a lot of podcasting is predicated upon that. Um, But, you know, I'm always going to be most critical of myself. And because of that, I think a lot of my intros by default, just by paying attention to the world around me and having thoughts and opinions on it, uh, a lot of my intros have become sort of social and political commentary. And um, I think it happened naturally, but it's definitely not a trend I want to promote. It's not where I like to keep my consciousness a lot of the time. I think being a compassionate human being and caring about humans other than ourselves already uh, requires us and forces us to take in what's happening with the world. But to further that cycle by making it the main thing that I'm communicating, thusly resonating it, is not something that I really want to do or, or become. I don't know. I don't know how else to communicate it. My point is, is that although I've been saying a lot of this stuff revolving around social or political issues, uh, I have so many more thoughts, the majority of my thoughts, which don't exist in that realm. Basically, I'm trying to say that I think of tons of stupid shit all the time, and i definitely think of more stupid shit than I think of intelligent things. And I don't think it would be a sincere or uh, honest 
expression of me if I don't address the majority of my consciousness, which is thinking of stupid shit. I love asking my friends, what would you do in this case questions, or would you rather, or this essentially like hypothetical play that is fascinating for me just because these hypothetical situations that you create through would you rather questions or what would you do are, you know, fascinating glimpses into people's psychology and the psychology that they not only uh, inherently have, but that has been shaped through their experiences. As you know, that's a big part of what I'm interested in and what I get after in talking to my guests. So for now, I'll probably lean back into more of my stupid thoughts and let the intelligent, stimulating conversation and talking points happen with my intelligent and stimulating guests. One of my favorite stupid, mindless thoughts that I've been entertaining for far too long in my life is what I would do if I actually possessed a time machine. Being a child of the 80s and 90s, what I would do with a time machine is obviously hugely informed by Back to the Future and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And while I would not feel the responsibility to our universe to preserve the Robert Zemeckis, Doc Brown, space-time continuum paradigm, I wouldn't necessarily selfishly wreak havoc on said space-time continuum just to benefit my school project, like Bill and Ted might have. I would actually probably cause this cosmic chaos in a way that might fuse the two. I can't help but wonder what it would be like to go nab Rachmaninoff, Mahler, Gustav Holst, some of my favorite composers, bring them to today, put them in front of a giant sound system, and let them listen to music of the future. How would Mahler react listening to Dillinger Escape Plan? What would Tchaikovsky think hearing a Travis Scott song, which most certainly sounds like the closest thing we have to future music? I fantasize about showing up in Austria in the late 1800s, kidnapping Sigmund Freud, bringing him to today, and then tossing him into, say, a Harvard Medical School psilocybin study as a test subject, while I hold one of his texts and watch the foundations of Freudian theory change right in front of my eyes. I fantasize about showing up in Albert Hoffman's laboratory as he's doing his first work of synthesizing LSD and throwing him in the DeLorean or the phone booth, whichever you prefer, bringing him back to today, present day, and sending him to an electronic music festival or Burning Man, maybe EDC. Would he cower in fear, wondering what sort of bizarre reality he was creating in his mind, or would he let go, be free, dance his ass off, and have a great time? I'm fascinated by the possibilities. 
I guess I'm realizing that most of my desires with a time machine involve massively messing with people and seeing how much we can blow their minds, which is definitely in my sort of sinister, playful nature. I personally get a real kick out of thinking about going back, throwing Daniel Boone into the DeLorean or the phone booth, bringing him to today, giving him a Beyond Burger, saying, not only is this a new application of how to eat meat, but this meat itself comes from plants. It's not even real meat. I mean, I can't be the only person who's ever wondered how Genghis Khan would fare in, let's say, the UFC. How would he be without his armies, swords, horses? How would he fare? I don't know. I'd be fascinated to see. I'll stop that there. Maybe if I grow more confident, I'll let you in on more of my mindless, idiotic thoughts that I keep going for my own amusement. And if you're still here listening after all that bullshit I just said, I really appreciate you. Thank you. I think it's a great time to move on to today's guest on the show. A very, very interesting, thoughtful, talented human by the name of Charlie Saxton. Charlie is one of the very few pals that I've made through the internet, through the old social networking. Uh, Come to find out, he's actually a long-running RX fan, which is very flattering. Uh, Charlie is also a musician. He sings in a band called Much Better. In addition to that, Charlie is also an actor who has many credits to his name for the young age of 31. Charlie is currently star of Netflix and Guillermo del Toro's Troll Hunters trilogy series, uh, in which he does the voice of Toby. They are also currently working on the feature full length film of Troll Hunters. He's also been in HBO's Hung and has made appearances in popular shows like New Girl and Silicon Valley, among many other things that I won't take the time to list all of. So, yeah, uh, one Saturday night, we do like pandemic podcasts do and got on the old inner bot, had a chat. And as I have my guests record themselves, it worked out well because Charlie has a whole vocal booth set up at his house for doing all of his voiceover work remotely. And we talk about that. We talk about what it's like to work on a uh, feature film while not reporting to set and doing it remotely and recording himself. And of course, we talk a lot about music. We talk about his songwriting process for his band much better. We talk about his parents being musicians, his early show experiences, even needing to get lifted out of the pit at an RX show at Electric Factory in Philly, I believe it was. Uh, we talk about him moving back east. We talk about his sort of food idiosyncrasies, liking to microwave and have warmed up frosted mini wheats. Uh, we talk about a lot. Charlie is a really articulate, well-spoken, humble, and just cool guy. And, you know, for us musicians, it's really cool to see people involved in Hollywood that are kind of like, quote unquote, on the level. 
um, just meaning that we can relate to that don't have this sort of, I don't know, the entertainment industry lacquer that, you know, doesn't really shroud your vision, but in so many people exists in this thick layer that you really can't ever get past. And uh, someone like Charlie is so refreshing because I don't sense any of that on him. And I don't reckon that you will after this conversation either. So with all that said, enough of my babbling. Here's my conversation with Charlie Saxton. Mr. Charlie Saxton, thank you for taking the time to be here. Steve, thank you so much for having me. This is uh, pretty fucking cool. (laughs) It's cool for me too, man. And what's even cooler is your little vocal booth, like podcast, uh, little safe room that I'm seeing you in right now. Yeah, this is, uh, this is kind of new actually. I just, I'm not quite done yet. I just got some new foam boards in the mail today, but, uh, yeah, I'm trying to make this place as quiet as I can because it's been pretty much all I've been doing work-wise since the pandemic started. So is that the room where you're doing a lot of the voiceover work you were talking about? I am. Yeah. I actually just did some of the work for the Troll Hunters movie that's going to be coming out. I did it right Sick. here in my closet. A um, couple of other things I'm not sure I'm allowed to talk about, but uh, yeah, it's yeah. pretty fascinating. The the length of technology that we have now that we can just record high quality film and television in a closet. Yeah, that's amazing, man. Um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of things you're involved with that, you know, you're not allowed to talk about. <clears throat> Those of us in the entertainment industry <laughs> get that whole concept, right? Of course. I, so I can dig that. But um, the Troll Hunters movie, how does that work out uh, without having the normal uh, av- venue for you to be recording with some sort of direction and all that? Like, how is that working remotely for you? Yeah, it's definitely, it's a little more difficult because you know, I'm suddenly playing the audio engineer of my own, you know, uh, uh, session, which is, uh, you know, kind of unheard of in the industry because I should not be held responsible for the technical aspects of it on my end. Cause I will just screw it up. And unfortunately there was an instance where, uh, I had a session and, uh, the, at the end of it, they were recording on their end, but I was recording the backup on my end. And they said, uh, can you send in the file? And they sent, and I sent it in and they listened to it and they're like, there's, there's nothing here. It's, it's complete silence. And I was like, (laughs) no. And I went back and I checked and everything was fine. But for some reason in the audio settings in my actual computer, the volume was set at zero. So it recorded, Uh. it just recorded everything at zero. Um, but like, you know, in terms of direction and stuff like that, it's, it's weird. Cause you're, it's like this, it's like a zoom hangout chat. So it's, And, you Uh know, voiceover work is already so isolating performance wise, where like very, very rarely are you in the same room with the person that you're interacting with. You know, it's mostly just you and the director. Um, So having the director kind of direct you from afar performance wise, but then also it's like, ah, shit, Charlie, can you check your EQ? And I'm like, which one? You know, I don't know like exactly where. And they're like, oh, yeah. it's your gain setting. And I'm like, oh my God, I, I, sh- I should know this because I'm a musician, but I'm just like so flustered right now. Um, but it's been, uh, you know, like, like anything else in this crazy time, you just kind of have to adjust to it. Man, well, 
you sound like a true pro that whole adaptive like adaptable mentality and stuff and that flexibility you know yeah so try um <laughs> So the movie is directed by Guillermo del Toro, right? So the movie is directed by Guillermo. And then uh, since it's kind of encapsulating the whole like three different universes that have been going on through the whole Troll Honors arc, there is, I believe, uh, Andrew Schmidt is a director. uh, Joanne Matt is a director. And uh, Brooke Chalmers is one of the directors. So there's a lot of... which. Hmm? I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, yeah, there's a lot of uh, people kind of having to not put their influence, but direct these sections. Cause it's just so ginormous, okay. you know, it's, it's so you're, sh- you're on zoom with different directors at different points, then recording your stuff. Right. Everybody's there all at once. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah. Everybody's oh, okay. there all at once. And then it's gotcha. kind of like, all right, now Andrew will step in and he'll do his part. And then Joanne will step in. And, right. But you know, it's kind of, there's the whole, everyone has the whole overarching idea of, right the film yeah that's super interesting but i would imagine the show being what three seasons deep now that there's a lot of trust in the your interpretation of the lines and the character right so there's obviously some flow there by yeah, this point yeah definitely it's it's been a lot easier with the sessions as opposed to earlier on where we were kind of finding the character and the nuances and and all that stuff and that's kind of the the fun of it now is <clears throat> where we uh we get everything as written and then it's kind of just a free for all of like, well, what other like sounds can we come up with? What other jokes can we come up with? Cause depending on the process of the animation, I can either come up with something or we can all come up with something that they then animate around. And that's really fun to see those kind of like oh, moments yeah. where it's like, Oh, we came up with that and they, they made that, you know? Yeah. That's yeah. really cool. That's a kind of a direction that I never really thought of as someone on the outside or the lay person in this case with this sort of filmmaking, like, or uh television making, like, uh, it's really cool to know that you can add some expressions or sayings or just some ad libbing. And then they're actually able to like animate around that. That's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. There's uh, an instance where there was a scene where they kind of just filmed me actually physically doing the scene. And then they sent that off to the animators to kind of like give a, a you know, uh, an idea of the, the way that Toby is supposed to move and, and the flow of it all. And it was, it was, it was really cool to see that kind of transform digitally. Yeah. That's cool, man. I dig that. So with sort of voiceover work and finding that character, cause I would imagine on your end actually doing it, it really kind of ties into musical vocal performance, but takes it to a new level because you are finding these extremes of uh, verbal and audio expression, right? Absolutely. To like illuminate these characters, right? So are you into like Mike Patton stuff at all? Mike Patton. No, he's a, he was the singer of this 90s band, Faith No More. But oh, since then course. he's done these really like, avant, you know, he's been in uh, Fantomas, Tomahawk, like these various bands, you know. And uh, Mr. Bungle is a uh-huh. well-known uh, Mike Patton project. But I, I asked that just because he has one of those more eccentric vocal stylings where he does extreme like characters in his singing voices. Yeah. And he runs this extreme spectrum of being able to sound like a metal singer or sound like uh, he's at some sort of like vaudevillian circus show or whatever. You know what I mean? So uh, where I was going with that was uh, you play in a band. Yes. <laughs> and... You're the vocalist of the band, right? Yes. Right. 
Um, and so has your acting and voiceover work in particular, like informed your singing at all? Has it, has it affected it at all? Or is that a different directional flow? Whereas oh. your singing abilities informed that, or is it kind of resonant? <clears throat> it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of, it goes both ways. Definitely in terms of, uh, my endurance as a singer in, in the studio, uh, just going hours and hours and hours of like action sequences and shouting like, no, look out, you know, and still being able to talk normally afterwards, really like you, you, you build up that, that muscle in your vocal cord. So then I'm in the booth and I'm doing all these takes after takes after takes. And it's kind of like, when are you going to give up, man? <laughs> and it's like, uh, I've been almost conditioned, you know, to be able to keep going. Um, but then on the flip side of that, yeah, the, uh, the performance that I bring, you know, I, I grew up with like musical theater and plays and stuff like that. So like really oh, okay. pronounced and like, you know, characters, if you will, while singing is something that's kind of just been ingrained in my brain. Um, so I really love to bring the, the efforts and the emotions into that. Cause you know, you, you don't have to be the strongest singer, but if you're really feeling what you're singing and you really just fucking commit to what you're singing, then that's what people relate to. I feel like. I agree with that. <laughs> 1000%. Yeah. Yeah. Because like some of the world's most loved vocalists are not objectively amazing singers, but they just have this style. And as you said, this authenticity, right? Yeah. Where they're behind what they're doing and you can tell it's sincere, you know, and uh, yeah, I agree with you completely. That's rad, man. One of the nicest reviews I ever read from a, a, the latest Much Better EP was a guy who was like, yo, you can really tell that this singer is heartbroken. <laughs> and I was like, great. <laughs> thank you. I, uh, I appreciate that. Um, so was it just the musician who doesn't hide behind anything in that Much Better song? Or was there some sort of the, the actor in you that was able to portray this or kind of exaggerate that? Or is that question not applicable? Because that's fair too. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of just like fucking you have to go for it. You know, when yeah. whether you're acting and whether you're singing, you can't really hold back because audiences, no matter what you're doing, whether it's acting or singing, if you're nervous or if you're holding back, like people can tell. So it's like, you yeah. know, it's better to just fucking rip it and just go for it. And at least something, whatever comes out of that will be like, oh, shit, <laughs> you know, that was real. Yeah. Yeah. Well said, man. I agree with that also. Um, so where are you from exactly on the East Coast? Initially, I'm from a small town outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania called Bristol Borough. Is that still in Pennsylvania or is that over the, the line and were you in New Jersey? Oh, that that's, that's still uh, in Pennsylvania, but it's like, okay. it's closer to Trenton than Philadelphia, I guess. Um, okay. Gotcha. But I am currently in uh, Manahawkin, New Jersey. Cool. Yeah. Um, did you just relocate there? I felt like you lived in LA or something. I, uh, so very funny story. Um, about 10 years ago, I was doing fairly well for myself and trying to think of ways to kind of, you know, invest my money and Growing up, my family and I would always come to Long Beach Island for vacations, and it was just the best. It was awesome. And yeah. uh, I thought it would be a good idea to invest in a house on the water for, you know, family vacations, and I could rent it out during the year. And so I bought it, uh, I think, like, mid-2011, and I had a New Year's Eve party there, 
It was New Year's Eve, yeah, 2011 to 2012. And I slept there one night with all my friends. And then about six months later, Hurricane Sandy happened and Mm. just completely demolished the house, just totally wiped it out. And so uh, long story long, I haven't been living at this house for like the last 10 years because it's just been inhabitable um, all the while still making the mortgage payments, making the construction payments. And so uh, when the pandemic happened, the Hollywood industry just shut down. So I wasn't Uh really doing anything out there anyway. And my lease in Los Angeles was coming up anyway. And so I figured, you know, what better time to actually enjoy this place that I've been paying for and spent, you know, Literally everything that I do and that I work for, it just goes to this house. And so I haven't right. been able to enjoy it at all. Um, so me and my girlfriend packed her bags and we just settled here for now. Um, it's definitely a temporary. I don't think I would be here if it wasn't for the coronavirus, but I'm, you know, not saying I'm glad it happened, but, you know, I wouldn't be yeah. here if it wasn't for it. <laughs> Yeah. So you seem like you're chilling, you're enjoying your time out there. So yeah. You know, rather. it's, it's, it's fun, but it's definitely a culture shock for sure. Like coming from <laughs> yeah Los Angeles, California to New Jersey, and especially during like an election season, man, it was just like, oh wow, we are, we are not in Kansas anymore. Um, so that was definitely an interesting thing that I wasn't aware of because I just wasn't here. Uh, just kind of yeah. the, the vibe of, you know, not in Los Angeles. <laughs> Legit. Yeah. Is this, um, how far away from your actual hometown is this? Is this like an hour away? Yeah, it's like an hour. So, so I'm the- super close to my family and I've seen my family more times safely, of course, but I've seen my family more times in the last three months than I have in the last eight years. It's been pretty nice. That's rad, dude. I'm glad that you're getting that time. Thank and you. your hometown, is that within an hour of Philadelphia? Yeah. Or so how that's maybe from- like 30 minutes outside of Philly. Oh, okay. So you definitely grew up going to shows in Philly then, right? <laughs> yeah. And I was thinking about, I've probably seen RX the most times out of any band in Philadelphia at like the Electric Factory and the TLA. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember, uh, I think it was the Real Big Fish Coast to Coast Roast. What was that? 2004? Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. You have a good memory or five. Was like it? Yeah. Five, okay. Yeah. And I was like, oh man, I, I got there early and I was like front row. I'm planted in the, like, I'm going to be here all night. And I was fine, you know, during Big D and the kids table was fine. And then someone else played, it was fine. And then RX came on and the lights just went down and the whole crowd just surged to the front. And I'm a little dude, like, and I was just got pinned to the barricade. And I think like the second song in, I had to call the security over and I was like, take me out, take me out. I was, I was freaking out. Um, but that was, it was a great time. And I remember the next time you guys were in town, I think it was like 2007 or 2008, maybe. Um, I was smarter and I stood where I stand now, <laughs> kind of near the back with all the other old heads. I just like to appreciate the music. And uh, I think it was like right before you guys went on, Matt was walking towards the bar and I had a demo CD of my old band and I handed it. He was standing with a woman. I forget who it was, but I handed the CD to Matt and he like, smiled and like looked at me and he like patted me on the back and he did he's just such a large man that the impact (laughs) of his hand on my back just like boom (laughs) it just felt like and it felt like a gunshot on my back and I was just like dude this is the coolest thing ever and he just seems such like a nice friendly dude um 
But uh, yeah. And then I think I saw you guys the last time you were in LA a few years ago. But yeah. That's cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. Matt does have unusually large hands, which <laughs> makes him uh, the universe's gift to playing guitar. Absolutely. And I've always had my work cut out for me trying to keep up with his long fingered riffs. Yeah. When, because I have these short stubby, as I like to call them, Vienna sausage finger <laughs> hands, you know? I so, feel you. Uh, yeah. Like, although I have powered through playing piano, keyboards and guitar for most of my life, uh, I've certainly constantly felt my physical limitations at those instruments. You know what I mean? Totally. So, um, that's rad. What was that band that you gave him the demo for? What was that band called? We were called Cool Kids Going to the Beach. And That's the cool. cover That's a of the sweet C- name. Oh, thank you. Uh, the cover of the CD was my, my dog Gizmo, and he was sitting in a pool raft in the middle of like a, just a pool that my family and I had rented for one summer. Um, yeah. Yeah. Any dog photo is always good. Always yeah. welcome by me. We for- and he had sunglasses on, so we were like, come on. <laughs> this is an Even album Even better. Yeah. And what did that band sound like? Oh my God, dude. So, uh, it was really cool. Cause it was like me and two of my close friends in high school and we all had a bunch of different musical influences. I definitely brought the RX bandits influence to, to the table. <laughs> um, my buddy was super into like incubus at the time. And, uh, our other buddy Dave was really into like neutral milk hotel and he's wow. the one that introduced me to Daniel Johnston, which is like cool. to this day, one of my biggest inspirations for music and art and everything. Um, so I was definitely the ska kid amongst the group. Um, and I just remember just ripping off RX bandits, like licks (laughs) and chord progressions and just being like, "Eh, I came up with this thing myself. Um, (laughs) we definitely, we started as a ska band. We had a six piece. Our first practice was a six piece ska band with like our buddies from the band, the horn section from the band. Uh And that lasted for one practice. Um, And then uh, it was me, Dave and Will. And we were kind of like pop rock, but we weren't punk. But then we also straight up did like drum circles and shit in the middle of our set. Like just, you know, gotcha. really just kind of all across the board. Um, Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I think that sounds great in the fact that you guys took such a wide spectrum of influences And rather than going for like a specific thing, and I really mean this, like, I love it when people are ambitious with what they're trying to create to create something unique, you know, to cite all those influences from this rock thing all the way to Neutral Milk Hotel to still playing ska, you know what I mean? And uh, if you repped us that hard, uh, that's a huge compliment, man. Anytime anybody tries to rip you off, it's a huge compliment, (laughs) you know, and and it makes sense because we all start by emulating. That's what we do, right? Totally. I think regardless of your, your craft, uh, I imagine it would be the same for acting, music, art, whatever. We emulate when we're young. Then our version of copying is different. Then we start to roll with how that is different and make it our own style. And then we all come up with our own style. It's Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I like that analogy yeah. much better. <laughs> well, you know, there's that, there's that saying, you know, like... Uh, bad artists try to copy good artists just steal. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Which uh, I think is kind of tongue in cheek and meant to be taken in, in jest partially, but you know, I also think it holds a lot of truth. So yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, and how you describe that minus the scars, you know, I was listening to a couple of the much better songs, which is your current band. Yes. And it's rock. It's pop. It's catchy. There's hooky, rocky parts. And but if someone were to try to like have me describe objectively what kind of rocky, punky, fun party vibes it was, like I would have a hard time doing it, man. Oh, so, thank you. And one of the things that I really did feel is that same, no joke, man, that sincerity and that authenticity in the vocal delivery. It's big Thank in that you. style of music, you know, because you guys aren't like jerking off the uh, guitar necks, just trying to noodle. You can tell there's song crafting going on there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that folk aspect of telling a story. So... Uh, yeah, I yeah, uh, cool. I definitely was very fortunate. My parents uh, are musicians and they had an Irish band from when they were, you know, in cool. their 20s until they had babies and we ruined that dream for them. And then when we were old <laughs> enough to go to the bars with them, then they started playing bar shows again. So it was like, you know, it was cool. I was like raised in that whole scene. And then um, just, yeah, and my mom's an actress as well. And going back to the whole musical theater aspect of it, I I always love like, big anthemic but like catchy hooks because songs and musicals like they have to stick with you because they have to tell the stories like they have to you know progress the whole the narrative so i've always really admired just like you know uh they're not even cornier they're not even cheesy they're just like big bright happy melodies and then yeah the the lyrics or the content of them can just be like dark or they can they can be anything you want but they the sound of it has to be you know that's what's catching the person's, you know, attention or their, or their, you know, their ear or whatever. Um, so it, yeah, it, if someone had to describe much better, it's definitely like theatrical punk, theatrical garage rock, um, that I definitely try to bring in, like you said, my acting experiences and my, my emotions and, and what have you. Um, yeah, yeah. maybe you can, uh, yeah, if I think you would be doing that term of theatrical a service because <laughs> a cynical uh recovered hater musician like me hears theatrical around any of those legitimate music genres and i normally get turned off but totally since i already know that these songs rock and are pretty dope like oh, thanks, yeah man. i dig that i dig that but i also dig what you're saying because um i grew up when i was young playing in like summer repertory theater pit orchestras for a lot of musicals too so as a musician, not performer, I was playing a lot of these, you know, I've done them all like, yeah. you know, Fiddler on the Roof, uh, oh, Big man. River, Cabaret, Little Shop of Horrors. There like, it is. I've done, a, 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 you know, so. Were you playing um, a keyboard or a piano? Actually, one of them for Big River, which is like the Huck Finn musical, I played drums because I did symphonic and marching band percussion, like snare drum. And I played drums in jazz band for a long time when I was young. So one of those gigs was doing that. And then another one was playing bass guitar. Cause I used to play a lot of bass too. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I started out playing the drums when I was really young and that was what I chose as my, you know, music class in school and all that. So I played the drums and then um, when I got into high school, started playing for the football games and our school is so small that our band was so small that like we didn't march. We didn't do anything like that. We just sat in the stands uh-huh. and we played. And when I was, I think, in like seventh grade, the seniors 
were these guys that were super into like Blink-182. And like, you know, this is when that <laughs> that wave was like, and they're like, we need to have a bass and a guitar in our in our band, Mr. Collins. And he was like, all right, fine, screw it. So it was really cool to like incorporate these. And then, you know, of course, Seven Nation Army was just the song that we played for like for <laughs> decades and after that. But that's when um, that's when I started playing the bass and taking that more seriously. Um, and I love the bass, man. It's such a fun instrument. It is, man. And when it's not just treated as an afterthought that follows the chord progression, when you actually or dedicate yourself to making good bass parts and understanding the the place in the whole sonic landscape that it fills, the responsibility is big and it's really fun. It's yeah. really fun. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. Um, I like music, to start music, out. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say music is always better off when the bass is treated as such. So yeah. Go ahead. Um, I like to start out writing songs sometimes on the bass where like I'll come up with the melody on the bass or like I'll come up with something that isn't the bass part on the bass. And then usually right. I'll bring that to um, Tim, Tim Joe, the bass player and much better. And he is just like, he is such a talented musician. <laughs> like it's I, I uh, the way I can describe it is like, I'll be like a kid that like molds something in clay and I'll like bring it to Tim and I'll be like, Hey, I made this thing. And I'll be like that encouraging parent. I'll be like, Oh, this is really nice. And then he'll just like <laughs> fix my clay project. And it, then it turns into like the thinker. And I'm like, Oh, Tim, Tim's a genius. That's awesome, dude. So you'll like workshop songs with him basically. And he'll like help you write the songs for much better. Yeah, pretty much. Like it's never, it's never like, here is, this is a song that I wrote and here is your part. You know, it's like, oh, I came up with this part, but I don't know how to get it from here to here. Or like I have three yeah. fourths of this song. Um, and then, yeah, some, some of my favorite days are just like, I'll go over to Tim's house and we'll just like work out a song and just try to figure it out from A to B. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, he's a he's a really good, fun writing partner, and he's also really diligent. Like <laughs> recording demos with him is the most yeah. excruciating thing because <laughs> he he will be like, "Ah, one more, you got it." No, no, one more, one more, one more. And I'm like, hey. "Bro," <laughs> but it 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 only makes me in that much better. Yeah. If if nothing else, us Koreans are diligent. <laughs> he are told diligent. me to tell you, by the way, that. It's like, as soon as I, you asked me to be on the show, I texted the band and I was like, you guys aren't going to fucking believe this. And Tim was like, no way. Uh, so he says to say hello. And he also thinks you are a master craftsman. Wow. That is far. First of all, it's far too kind, but, uh, <laughs> after that, it's, it's, it's very flattering. So tell him I appreciate that. Absolutely. And, you know, um, so are you back to the whole song thing with Tim? Yeah. Are you a generally like, uh, like you said, a bass part, like a chords and a vocal melody guy, like you have a hook in your head or do you kind of compartmentalize it where you're coming up with a bass part or a chord progression and then you kind of work to the next level and write a vocal part over it later? Or is it every which way? It's kind of every which way. It depends on the song or the part or like, I'm sure like sometimes you'll hear everything all at once just in your head and you're like oh yeah. shit okay well i gotta find a way to transcribe that um and then sometimes i'll just have yeah a chord progression and then just playing that and jamming that over and over uh a lyric or like a melody will come out of that organically um yeah yeah there really isn't a 
specific set way, you know, it's kind of just depends on how it comes. Cause I'm, I love to play and I, I don't want to discredit myself, but during this quarantine, I've been like, okay, I'm going to teach myself the guitar. <laughs> like, you know, I have this huge chart, chart, chord chart in my, in my room that I'm like, okay, everything uh-huh. in the, in the G scale, like goes with this and everything that goes with this. Cause I've spent so many years just like frustrating myself going, well, what, what sounds better when I play it with this one? Like what goes with this note, you know? And, uh-huh. uh, I, I kind of like that free, <laughs> like anarchy way of writing a song. Cause you're right. not really confined to some sort of structure. Um, but uh-huh. also it, it, it is a lot less frustrating when I'm like, oh yes, the C to the F is like the, that works, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but yeah. then again, that's where Tim comes in and he's like, no, you can only go here when you go here. But if you started here, then you can go here. He's, he's, yeah. uh, very understanding. <laughs> well, I think everybody's own set of rules that they like to stick to is part of shaping everybody's style, you know? Mm-hmm. So if he's more of into this traditional, like, you know, or taking a pop approach where you're not just going to be kind of like doing whatever. But um, I think it's always good to brush up even old musicians like me on theory. Um, And I have this talk a lot with people who aren't necessarily versed in theory or who don't know any theory. Right. And they're already great musicians in my eyes, you know, and they're always like, yeah, but I want to learn theory. And and I was just talking to somebody else about this. Um, But I would say that it's important to remember that the theory though is only there to be like the ground you walk on. But what you're doing is creating a larger, more even and nice space for you to, if the metaphor is dancing, like just to move around freely, because Mm -hmm. rather than being limited to a certain set of these shapes and chords, like let's say when you're writing on the guitar that you're familiar with, um, it, it's just kind of giving you more options to kind of forget about and then let come through your stream of consciousness, that creative space we get totally. into. Right? So it's like this funny thing because, um, I think, I don't think you think this, but I think there's this misconception with a lot of people that they think like, Oh, once I learn the theory and I understand all this technical stuff, it's going to somehow lube up this creative track when, it's kind of is a more complicated processing than totally. that, you know what I mean to get yeah. there. So it's like, yeah. there's not like a, a secret key to like getting it. You know what I mean? It's yeah. in, it's sort of a similar thing to acting where it's like, there's not a, there's not like a, you unlock an achievement that like you can perform now. It's like going, you know, it sounds corny, but it's like back to the roots of just like being authentic and being true and yeah. you know, being real. And you know, um, it's yeah. That's legit. So is that for you, uh, how it comes out with a song when you interface that with acting is that you kind of getting a scope of the character you're playing and then really trying to bring that concept of how this character exists in multiple situations into your head or how does that exactly play out for you? Yeah, I guess, um, a lot of the lyrical content that I write is really, really personal. So that's kind of like where I'm not playing a character so much as that I'm just like, I'm myself amplified. Um, and I don't know. I always just really like those kind of tongue in cheek, uh, lyrics that are like, you know, witty, but also like not deep, but it's like clever. Um, yeah. And so I feel like it's also a really, it's 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 a release for me it's a way for me to you know 
get my thoughts out in a way that are more than just expressive and more than just me, you know, boohooing about this and that and more than just me being angry about this and that. It's like I can project something that I think hopefully someone else is going through and can t- can kind of, you know, make it entertaining at the same time and make it fun at the same time and also just be able to just rock out at the same time, which is kind of just what we love. Our main objective whenever we write a song is just like, what's the most fun that we can have? And like, what's the most Word. like, and what I love about Sean, our drummer is he's from Long Island. He's from the Long Island hardcore scene. So when okay. it's like time, time to just like, just have a massive breakdown or just like blow the fucking speakers out of the wall. Sean's there. <laughs> yeah. That's sick, man. I dig that a lot. Yeah. Um, I was curious about your parents. You said they're both musicians and they played in an Irish band. Yes. Um, is, is one of them a violinist, like a fiddler? So I'm sure my mom could, if she tried, but my mom mostly okay. plays the banjo and the penny oh, okay, whistle. Cool. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. And uh, my dad plays the guitar and he plays the bass as well. Cool. And would they sing also? They would, yeah. And they do really cool harmonies together. Um, uh, My dad and I, we've played a couple couple of jam sessions over the last couple of months that we've been here. And we were supposed to go to this thing called the Fur Peace Ranch. Um, Have you heard of this? (laughs) No, it's kind of a suspect name. Though. It's a little sus. I mean, okay, so have you heard of, it's going to get even more sus. You've heard of the band Hot Tuna? Yeah, I've heard of Hot Tuna. Uh-huh. Okay, so the lead guitarist, singer of Hot Tuna, his name's Yorma, he just has this ranch, basically, called the Fur Peace Ranch. <laughs> it sounds weirder now that I say it out loud each time. Um, but it's basically just like a guitar camp. And it's just, cool. you go and you take classes. And yeah, it's a dream. And so last year, my dad went, and he had the best time and he was like, we have to do this together. And I was like, bet, that sounds incredible. So we booked it like a year in advance. And then of course things yep. changed and it had to be canceled. So um, I'm trying to find a way to kind of like make it happen. Um, but I think I'm going to have my dad come down at some point when the world isn't on fire and we'll like learn a bunch of songs together and just kind of, you know, do classes on YouTube or something like that. But I would love to do like a live performance because that was the whole point yeah. of it is like you learn. And then at the end of the week, you have this big workshop. Um, but uh, yeah. So it's a bunch of guitarists getting together, jamming together, taking classes, interacting, and then performing. Yeah. And then apparently there's just like really good food. <laughs> uh, that sounds killer. But that concept makes my social anxiety start to really bubble. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, man. And I was like, I was the same thing. I was super nervous about it because I was like, again, my like, uh, not faux guitar playing mentality, but it's like, I'm just like, I feel like I only have this set of skills. And what if these other people have other set of skills, but then it's just like, ah, you know what? Fuck it. You know, it's, it's kind of just like you, you have enough to be able to write a song and that's more than a lot of people can say. Yeah. And it's important, I think for everybody, including myself at multiple times. And I think forever, (laughs) as long as I'm alive for us to remember that, um, the point of, well, one of the greater points of playing music is not to shred as hard as possible. No. Yeah. It's to, it's to create something that you can enjoy. And if you want to take it to that next level, other people can enjoy, you know? Yeah. And I get that shredding as hard as you can does fall into that, you know? But um, I also feel like, especially with guitar, it's one of those instruments 
that in American pop culture and just the sort of perception of it has come into this thing where the whole like shred obsession comes in, you mm-hmm. know, and I'm not talking shit on technical playing. I'm one of the chief perpetrators of <laughs> guitar playing in my life where, you know, we're just trying to pack so much in. But um, I feel like that's why now I can say that and say that it was always about, in, especially in RX, the contrast of doing those shredding parts, but creating that as just a section and a mm-hmm. texture rather yeah. than making it default mode. Um, but, you know, we all have bands that I love Dillinger Skate Plan and the whole thing is of like course, just shredding man. the whole time. Yeah. So ain't nothing wrong with shredding. Yeah. Um, yeah. But to, to, to what you were saying and to kind of like bring it all during the quarantine, I've been playing a lot more bass and um, cool. I was listening to the first episode they did with Matt Embry and like you guys are going back and learning other people's songs. And I've been doing a lot yeah. of that too. Um, I've been going yeah. back and just like learning bass parts cause they're just hard and they're yeah. fun, but I go on YouTube and I do the half speed playback. So I'm learning mm-hmm. to play them at half speed, which is helpful, but it also hinders at the same time. But man, oh man, like sometimes just like four notes on a certain beat on like against a click track. And I'm just like, fucking head banging bro it's like (laughs) there's so much in like the control of that rhythm section sometimes that like you said you don't need to shred to have a good time (laughs) no and you don't need to shred to get your musical idea across you Mm -hmm. know what i mean like Mm -hmm. uh you said seven nation army jack white and the white stripes are a perfect example of that and Jack White's legit because he's not trying to shred. He's never up there being like a charlatan, being like, I'm going to try and write. You can hear the authenticity in his music that he writes. I'm not even a huge fan. I Mm -hmm. I just respect him. You know what I mean? Like he's writing the song for the song. He's serving the idea. He's not trying to, there's no pretense about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I definitely felt that watching him do the latest Saturday Night Live performance that he did. It was just like, just like a kick ass raw gritty and it was just a song you know it wasn't like flash or anything it was just a fucking killer track yeah i really gained respect for him when um in 2007 rx played bonnaroo and we played the same stage as the white stripes earlier in the day so i went back to the stage to watch them play and just seeing the raw delivery of how like he plays even in front of that gigantic audience i was just like this is legit man yeah i get it like, I'm still star. not a huge fan. <laughs> yeah. But like, I get it. Like that power and that command is definitely there. Absolutely. Um, so what are some of the songs you've been playing through on bass? Like what are some of the shit that you've been jamming to? Uh, I, I really love the Jackson five bass lines. Cause oh, those are buff. They're Jamerson. hard. They're really, really hard. Um, but they just like made me so happy. Like going back to like musical yeah. theater again, they're just so like, um, and you know, tis the season, but I've always noticed that one of my favorite baselines just in general is the baseline from, uh, Santa Claus is coming to town. Hmm. Their cover I'm not familiar of it, with that baseline. Their cover of it is like the baseline is just so fun and it just rides and it like, 
there is no Jackson Five song that's going to have a shabby bass line. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, there's, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Um, another newer band. Uh, there's a band uh, called Millington that I'm really into. They're kind of newer. Cool. Um, they're like a. They dub themselves Brass Emo. They're like an emo ska band. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're a lot of fun. Where are they from? Uh, upstate New York. I don't want to say maybe Albany. I'm not entirely sure, but um, yeah, they're they're a lot of fun, and their bass lines are killer. Is there still like definite ska in there, or is it just one of those things that's called ska because they have horns? Oh no, it's definite ska. Like it's okay. Yeah, they 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 stick but, to the roots. When they say like brass emo, I'm assuming that means they're staying away from like constantly like major chord progressions and like happy, quote unquote, happy sounding stuff. Is, no, is yeah, they, the yeah, they, yeah, uh, they're true to their form. <laughs> cool. Cool. Yeah. That's legit. Yeah. Anything else you've been jamming along to on bass? Um, on bass? Yeah. Well, just in general as well, the dirty nil. I love the dirty nil. Have you heard cool. of them? No, there, uh, there's this, they're this three piece band from Canada and man, they, they pack a punch. Like they just sound so loud. And so, uh, I, I keep saying the word anthemic, but that's just like what I've been really into. Cause it just makes me feel good and happy is like, you know, that just big riffing, yeah. big chords, just big blaring yeah. drums. And yeah, they're great. Anthemic. I think that's, uh, a legit word. I think maybe a lot of people use it, but when I think of anthemic, I basically think of anything that gets you really wanting to sing the chorus loudly with it. Right. Right. Um, generally like it's not very noty or quick moving. It's kind of like a lot of longer notes. Exactly. Shouting, right. Yeah. Like it's anthemic. Like, you feel like you're in like a, an arena <laughs> on the lawn with your friends. Yeah, I can dig that. Yeah. I think I like anthemic too, but I don't know if I can think of anything in particular that I dig that's super anthemic, but I'm so weird with music now, man. Yeah. Like, I'm super, I'm like, super fucking weird with music. I would consider crying to be an anthemic band. Like they have just like their big arena rock sound, but then uh -huh. again, some people would disagree. I don't know. Uh, that's legit, bro. <laughs> that's legit. Um, so, this is Saturday night, right? Yes. And it's 9.23 where you are? Yes, sir. Uh, what's been your deal lately on a Saturday night? If you weren't, if I didn't, like, uh, rope you into doing this with me, what would you be doing? Jamming out on bass right now or chilling out or what? Uh, I would probably be chilling out right now. Um, one of the things that's kept me quite sane during the quarantine is uh, a really close buddy of mine. He, uh, he started this, like, movie watching club with a bunch of people. And nice. so, yeah, it's so much fun, man, that it's kind of just, you know, we all have a group chat on Discord together and it's, it's nice to have because I've, I've never met these people before. And so it's kind of like a new group oh. of friends that I've made over the quarantine because of my one buddy. Um, but yeah, so probably would be, actually, I think I'm going to check and see if we're going to be watching a movie in a little bit. Um, it kind of just depends on everybody's schedules. Is it random movies yeah. or is it who picks them? Everybody takes turn picking them. Yeah. Everyone, everyone takes turns. We have a whole subsection of screening suggestions. So it's kind of like, you know, you throw it out there. Um, but my buddy John is really good at curating like a double feature. Excuse mm. me. 
my buddy John is really good at like curating a double feature and he'll have like previews before that. He'll have like music videos and it's, it's this really cool, fun experience. Um, cause back in LA, I don't know if you ever went to the new Beverly cinema. I never went, but I know. Of yeah, it. yeah, dude, it was I just mean. like, you so spoiled. Like the things that you take for granted now that you can't do <laughs> yeah. them, you're just like, damn. And like, even from an acting standpoint, I used to like bitch and moan about going on auditions but, oh man, what I wouldn't give to go at an, to an audition right now. It's just kind of like, yeah. it's a similar thing with a musician where it's like, you know, you can always complain about something, but at the end of the day, it's like, well, I just want to do it because it's just what I love to do. And I want to show what I can do. And it's not even oh, about yeah. impressing people. It's just, I have to get it out of my system and letting someone see yeah. it. It's just, yeah, it's, it's tough. So even you, you miss auditions, huh? That's legit. <laughs> I never thought I'd see the day, but I do because, it, you know, I'd always complain that it's like, oh, you know, it's so much pressure and you're, it's, it's like, you know, it, it's a very uncomfortable, vulnerable, insecure situation for, for anybody. But, at, you know, it's also an opportunity to show what you got. And, you know, if you ain't doing that, then what are you doing it for? <laughs> Yeah, it makes sense. The musicians are the same. Like so many musicians love bitching about touring when touring is happening and it's plentiful. Yeah. And uh, for a long time, I was one of them. But yeah, and like so many musicians, now that it's taken away, we're all, you know, I'm like little sniveling, like, I'm sorry. I know. I took it, you know. I even did like a whole episode of this podcast where I was basically talking about that, like, what just baffled at how I could take that for granted. Because, you know, to be honest, I clearly see now what yeah. a special thing it was. I clearly see how jaded I became <laughs> and how, how just rotten I got just being spoiled with, uh, thinking that something was a given and not appreciating that whole, I guess that, uh, re- exchange between people attending concerts and blah, 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 and all that yeah. stuff. So totally. I think I can dig what you're talking about, uh, with auditions, you know, cause, uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, I mean, at the end of the day, it's still, it's a human interaction. It's a connection with someone and it was always fun. It, it was always like a little mini performance because there was a casting director or a director or someone there giving you notes or something to bounce off ideas with. Um, yeah. but hopefully we'll get to a, we'll get back to that one day. I reckon we will. I think it's just going to keep getting extended by the idiots. So. It's going to get pushed back a little bit and yeah, yeah, just the way that the things have been and being in a place. Oh, well, I'm getting weird feedback. Um, being in a place that uh, doesn't really believe in <laughs> the, uh, the the mask rule. A lot of places have been pretty frustrating, but um, yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, it's tough, but I just got to remind myself that's why we're all wearing masks is also for those other fools around us that don't want to wear masks. Yeah. That's what my mask is there for too. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I wish it was everybody because then it would just obviously, but Hey, sometimes logic is so powerfully simple that it just evades people. <laughs> Dude, for real. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, bro? It's just like, uh, and that's what, it reminds me of something we were talking about on Twitter this morning about powerfully simple logic. (laughs) And this is going to seem like an odd segue, but it seemed, although I've never done it when you said you would microwave your frosted (laughs) mini wheats and warm them up, that seemed like powerfully simple logic to me. It's obviously like these little square bites of trying to, 
uh, emulate like a uh, a hot cereal, right? Mm-hmm. Porridge, or oatmeal, or hot cereal, or mm-hmm. or what have you. So, uh, you know, when I saw you asked if anybody else did that, I'm like, yeah. I mean, I've never done it, but I get it. Right. I uh, I and I was got such a strange reaction from it. People were so uh, surprised by it, but it's like it. There's instructions on the box. <laughs> there's like commercials for it. I'm not like making it up. Oh, really? There's instructions on the box for I'm hot I'm almost positive meat? there's instructions for like hot shredded mini wheats, but I, I know for certain there used to be a commercial for it. Like that's where I got the idea for it. Um, but uh, yeah, man, it's like you said, it was like a hot cereal. It was like an oatmeal or a porridge. It's like yeah. it's hot, weedy, sugary, you know, it sticks to your ribs. Okay, so... You know, you may not know this about me, but I'm like a gastronome. I'm a huge food cooking person, not just in my own personal interest of consumption, but basically I understand it as the most powerful unifying force of humans on the planet. And through my travels around the world, uh, I used to often joke that I was on a food tour, but I was just playing shows on the side (laughs) to like finance it. Right. Right on. So uh, I basically why the reason I'm saying this is because I have this huge fascination with people's idiosyncrasies about food, because just to speak to what you were saying earlier about people having this reaction to it, um, I think it's because how people eat and their views on food it ramifies a lot about their personalities. So a lot of people who are very by the book, not really free thinkers, they're the types of people that probably hate pineapple on pizza. They hate these sort of alternative, you know, savory sweet mixtures that us, our people in Asia have been doing for years. That's becoming popular and blah, blah, blah. So, um, I, I like it when people do things that are kind of trippy and far out. So the reason I'm saying all this is because I would love to know what's your setup for your hot mini wheats, would you like to use regular whole milk? Are you a soy milk or almond milk guy? Is there any toppings or additives? Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm an oat milk guy. I like oat milk. Um, oat milk's delicious. It's really good, right? I, I think it's my yeah. preference. I've, I've gone through the, the almond and the soy's, and you know, I think, I think I'm gonna stick with oat milk. Um, yeah. But you know, if I'm, if I'm feeling lazy, I'll just pop, uh, pour some milk in a mug pop that in the microwave and then oh, oh gotcha and then i have i have uh you know yeah just the shredded oh wait i'm thinking of something different what i'll do is i'll make the bowl of shredded mini wheats i'll okay. make all that and i'll put that whole bowl in the microwave for sure okay um and then i'll take that out and then what i like to add to that is a uh, little granola crumbles um Ooh. maybe little chocolate almond granola crumbles so that it, the, the shredded mini wheat gets soggy, right? And gets nice and warm. Yeah, but, but then I still got a little texture. Still. I got a little crisp. So it's not just like a, you know, soggy, weird bowl of something. So I'm not yeah. crazy, you guys. Like, <laughs> um, but that, yeah, that's, that sounds bomb. Yeah. And um, yeah, on a cold winter day, it's like, it's a nice, hearty, hearty breakfast. When was the last time you had it? Well, so after I got all that flack for making the shredded mini wheats, I was like, what else can I try? <laughs> and I, <laughs> I didn't post this because I wanted to save it for the podcast, but I, uh, I made a bowl of hot honey bunches of oats. Oh, how was that? It was okay. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't as good as the shredded mini wheats. Yeah, that makes sense. Just because honey bunches of oats are those thin cornflakes with them, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And those get soggy in cold milk, like so fast. Totally anyway. fast. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I get that. 
Yeah. Yeah. I love just cooking weird things that people don't think about cooking. Like I love my waffle maker. I can make so many bomb things in a waffle maker that people don't realize. Um, like the other night, the other night I made kimchi pancakes in a waffle maker. Oh, I had nice this like jarred kimchi that I love from Target. I, I know it's probably sounds super lame, but it's like really tasty. Um, and I had like just like this much left at the bottom of the jar. And I was like, oh man, well, what can I make? And I was really craving a kimchi pancake. So I had this like complete pancake mix and a little bit of remnants of the kimchi. And I just like whipped it all up, popped in the waffle maker. Delicious. Did you just eat it plain or with some soy sauce or something? Or I got a little hoisin sauce and a little sriracha and then, you know, I mix it up and I dipped it in. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask, since you were a waffle master, you obviously had to make some savory waffles, right? So, Absolutely. Yeah. Without a yeah. doubt. And, you know, even if you have to totally butcher my people's culture in the... Pro- no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I was like, he's either no, going to no. think this is cool or think this is horrible. <laughs> I think it's totally cool. Yeah. And I think it sounds tasty because although it's a different shape, uh, I'm going to basically break it down like this. One of my favorite parts of cr- traditional Korean uh, kimchi pancakes or kimchi putjige, mm. whatever, you know, in Korean, um, is the crispy edges. Yeah. And the reason I like your idea is because in a waffle maker, you get way more crispy edges, you know? It was and, all crispy edges, man. Yeah. So yeah. I'm digging, I'm digging it, you know, and I think maybe we, we got to make sure Roy Choi doesn't hear this and try to steal it or something <laughs> or a Kogi or one of his restaurants if oh, he doesn't man. already have that, but you might be onto something, man. Hey, I, I'm happy to share it. Yeah. Um, if it, I would, I would dig that with some fried egg and yeah, I can already think of all kinds of ways that I eat that. So good on yeah. you, man. That's, I, uh, that's cool. I love Korean food. Korean food is probably like one of my favorite genres of whatever food um it's uh, and i think it's because you said it's like the the sweet and the vinegary and like the acidic and the bite and the, yeah. the whole everything is just so well rounded that it's like uh it's just delicious and the best yeah. potato salad i've ever had in my life right and it has this a whole other uh layer of that kind of stuff like potato salad just because of the military presence during the Korean war. So there's yeah. all these kind of like foods of Americana, like spam and potato salad and macaroni salad that have made their way into Korean cuisine, like as, uh, what we call side dishes, panchan, you know? And, um, so these meals get really interesting. So that's cool that you're hip to all that, but yeah, I agree. I'm obviously I'm biased. I think <laughs> Korean food is one of the greatest foods on earth. Absolutely. But, um, just cause it has all those tastes, but it's cool that it's kind of uniquely shaped by really harsh winters. So that kind of informed the, the pickling and a lot of the sauce making that we have in our cuisine, rather than it being more fresh herb based, like Southeast Asian cultures where it's tropical, and they never could freeze to death down there or like <laughs> right. s- starve to death in cold yeah. winters. And um, I also, I love Thai and Vietnamese food, Cambodian food a lot too. So totally. Um, yeah. I uh, see you, dude. Sorry, man. No, man. We're, so, we're supposed to be talking about you and music and your career. And here I am fucking running my mouth about. Nobody's here to listen to me talk about Korean food. So. Dude, I am I'm here to listen to you talk about Korean food. <laughs> so if there's one person that will be interested, it'll be me. So, hey, it, it all comes full circle. 
that's legit, you know. And I guess Korean food is having its day right now. I I go into Trader Joe's and I see all kinds of those frozen Korean things in the oh uh, uh, yeah, you know, frozen section, and I see uh, Korean barbecue flavored potato chips and you know all that stuff. But you know, so I may not be down, but you know, Ameri- the consumer capitalism does what it does with food. So. It does what it does. It does it best. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, that's why everybody's like panic buying all the toilet paper again right now because oh of gosh. the next lockdown. And yeah, every, it, people say like, aren't you worried? And I'm like, no, because what I never underestimate or doubt is the greed of American consumer capitalism that will put people at risk to make sure these shelves stay stocked so that mm-hmm. they can keep making money. So you may run out at your store for a few days. You may have to wait in a two hour line, but you're going to get it. Trust me. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? Like, it will be there. It will never not be there. <laughs> that's if we've learned anything, it's that this system will make sure of nothing else, but <laughs> You can still spend money and buy that shit yeah. because we want to make that money, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That's legit, bro. Uh, sorry for entertaining all my... <laughs> <laughs> no, that was great. <laughs> Dude, so um, what's next for you? Like, what, What's going on right now? You're working on the Troll Hunters full-length film. Yeah. Right? Doing the Troll Hunters movie, a um, couple other voiceover projects in the works. Um, I've actually been doing a lot of writing during the quarantine, like screenwriting, um, which Sick. is something I never really like took the time to do. I always was like, Oh yeah, I'll, you know, we're going to here and there. Um, but I, you know, throughout this whole process is process connected with a writing partner. And, um, it's been really fun, man. Like, uh, just writing with someone and bouncing ideas off with someone and just like keeping yourself busy in that aspect of like creating something and churning out something fun. And it's like, you know, it's, it's a comedy horror was our first script. So it was just being able to just go as balls to the walls and as much fun as we possibly can. And it was really a super cathartic experience, especially for the last couple of months of just coming up with as many funny and insane ideas as you can. Um, so I'm really, I'm looking forward to that venture. Hopefully knock on wood leads to, uh, some interesting opportunities. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dude, I, I'm new to comedy horror, but now one of my favorite shows is what we do in the shadows, which oh, I'm sure you must. So good. And, uh, I mean, the movie was pretty good, but normally I don't do horror at all just cause I'm one of those like total weaklings that has an overactive imagination and I straight oh, yeah. up will bug out like the horror movies. But anyway, what we do in the shadows is so brilliant though. I mean, yeah, it's, it's quickly become one of my favorite TV shows of all time just because yeah, it's, great. it's rare that you get a new genre in TV, but maybe it's not new. Maybe it's been around for a long time and I'm just ignorant to it. But, no, um, it, I've never seen a show like this before. I mean, like, you know, there's the mockumentary tough style shows and then there are the horror yeah. shows and it's, this one definitely has its own kind of subsection for sure. Yeah, it's just really brilliant how they just kind of write an alternative story to all this lore, you know, yeah. that's existed for so long. And, Absolutely. Uh, everybody cast is totally perfect in it. Yeah. It's like, it's so cool. Um, so that's rad, man. You're doing screenwriting. That's really cool. Yeah, it's been really helpful keeping me busy during the days. And um, uh, 
it was funny. Matt Embry said something interesting where it's like you, you work on something and next thing you know, like five hours passes by and it's like, right. it's yeah. been good in that works for writing because I need something to help me pass the the days at this point. And why not make it something constructive and something fun? I always feel so at peace when I'm so compelled to work on something that you lose five or six hours at a time though. It's It's great. It's, it's great. Yeah. It's just a really good feeling. Yeah. Especially for very ADD nervous people like me who Mm -hmm. are default mode like that. Like it's, it's so nice to be like, wow, I've been doing this for this long. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. Um, it's, um, at the very beginning of the quarantine, much better had just released our next, our our newest EP. And not that we had like a huge rollout plan or anything for it, but like we were excited because we were like, ah, you know, these are our newest batch of songs and we're going to, play shows and it's gonna be this it's gonna be that and then obviously that i can so i made a music video for one of our songs and i did the total terry gilliam south park route where it's all hand cut hand pasted dude it took me like 80 hours to make this music video but i was stupid and i announced when the music video was gonna come out when i was maybe like 20% 20% done. So there was a lot oh. of pressure on my shoulders to get it done. Um, but again, it was something where I was spending like nine hours a day working on and just yeah. like exhausted, but then watching the, the, the progress that I had made from that day. And I was just like, holy shit, this is great. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. So you over teased your own video. A thousand percent. <laughs> a thousand. Like I, like I made a teaser and I was like, this Friday. And Tim and Sean were like, how much have you done? And I was like, this much. And it was like 10 seconds of the video. <laughs> it was Well, I mean, sometimes when we get stoked on an idea, we get stoked. So Yeah, man. Yeah. I, I I was certainly a madman. Yeah, for sure. Um, so is it cool? Basically, I would imagine, and correct me if if this isn't totally accurate, but like moving from acting to screenwriting now is essentially f- the same as moving from being a player in a band to songwriting, right? Kind of like yeah, creating it, the concept. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's creating the concept. Um, uh, I'm really excited to kind of see the process of a film coming together from A to B because as an actor we are literally the last element that gets thrown into a production. It's like, it's been written, it's been greenlit. It's like, there are all these hundreds of production meetings and things that have to be set up and so precise that it's just so funny that it's just like, okay, plop them here and then say the line. Um, So I'm really, and one of my favorite aspects about being an actor and working is all of the behind the scenes stuff and seeing everyone else's jobs and seeing how everything works and, I just love being a fly on the wall in in that aspect. So I'm really excited to, um, you know, be part of the the process of creating something new. And uh, I've read enough books about screenwriting to know that it's not a, it's not an easy business. You know, it's not like how they make it seem like an entourage or whatever the hell, but um, yeah. I'm, I'm excited regardless to to see where it goes. That's really cool, man. I mean, here's to new beginnings and always, I mean, for lack of a better term, like pushing our boundaries, you know what I mean? Yes, sir. Uh, As much as I hate tropes and cliches, (laughs) sometimes they're the only things that chill to, to like basically 
create that common ground for all of us to share this sentiment about this experience, you know? Yes. Sometimes there's nothing else to say, but the cliche. Yeah. (laughs) And and that's cool. I never really thought of it like that. How you said that, you know, as actors, you're, you're the last part of the production. Right. And it's funny because from the outside, someone like me, it makes so much sense when you say it, but it doesn't occur to us because for us, everybody outside of making it, you guys are the only things that matter. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's right. like the only perceivable, unless you're a film nerd or whatever, you know what of I'm course, saying? Of course, yeah. To the layperson, to the people that we need to be bigger, at, you know, to fill the the theaters or to whatever it is, sell the DVDs or have the viewership, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's always the trade-off, I guess. Like, the, the bigger you get, <clears throat> you can only get bigger by having more people pay attention to your work that appreciate it on a less or a more superficial level. Sorry. Totally. Like a less deep level. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's pretty bonkers, but that's just the way it is. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me, man. Dude, um, thank you. I, I really appreciate it. I know, uh, I'm, I'm not one to, to hide my, uh, my, my nerdiness, and my fandom, but this was, this was pretty fucking cool. <laughs> Well, well, that's very flattering to me because it's really cool to get to talk to someone like you who's so accomplished in a field that I know so little about, but I've appreciated uh, for my whole life. I'm a huge, you know, television, film nerd and stuff like that. And uh, and also to share uh, being a musician with you, you know what I mean? And yeah. uh, because of that, I feel like you've been able to give me a lot of insight and a lot of just real perspective on this craft of being an actor that I was kind of not aware of. And quite frankly, like a lot of the times I know so many other actors and you know what I mean? Like I don't, a lot of us musicians don't vibe with actors very often. And that interface is very tricky for very, for a lot of people to navigate, you know, and uh, you seem to do both with such grace and, uh, authenticity man so oh, thanks well, thank again. you man i appreciate that mad respect bro and uh on i'll be honest i love your work on troll hunters man it's oh, a sick thanks dude. i appreciate that thank you i'm too old to watch it but fuck it no it's man sick. you you're i feel like everyone is the target market there's there's something for everyone in the show for sure that's legit man well uh i hope you have a good saturday night thank you and, you as uh, well I'm hoping that you'll have a warm bowl of frosted mini wheats tomorrow morning or something. I will. I will. I'll send you a, I'll send you a text of it. I'll send you the bowl. (laughs) (laughs) Cool, bro. Hell yeah. All right, man. Bye-bye. Take care. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.